0: Hello, hi, welcome to and or back to the Equa theory Podcast. I am your host, Jill Treese, and this week's episode has lots, lots going on. Um, I've got a few things I want to cover, um, catch you guys up on some things going on with my horses um, and some of the things that, you know, in my time off that I've been able to sort of pour more energy into and look more into, learn more about and answer a submission question to give you guys a preview of the premium feed. So let's get into it. All right, all right, all right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are back in business, baby. But before we dive into the content, I got to do an ad slot. But if you are a premium feed subscriber, you're not going to hear an ad. And if you'd like to become one, please check the description below for the Supercast link where you can subscribe to the premium feed of the podcast. It's on a sliding scale. You can pay what you want. That's all I'll say about that. And let's roll the ad. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? okay. See, for those of you who are premium feed, there was nothing there. Just, just a a light pause for me. deep breath. Okay. So it's been a minute since I did this. Um, I think I'm clipping because I'm talking so loud. Um, so I am just gonna turn myself down a little bit. Um, but yeah, so it's I, I've got, I've got like nervous <laughs> energy. It's been such a minute since I have been like really in the swing of things podcasting. And I'm really looking forward to to getting back in the, the chill headspace about it, um, where it's not like I feel like my voice is shaking <laughs> because I'm like, I'm literally alone in my house. The boyfriend has departed. Uh, I do have the cats and the dog <laughs> in the house, but um, I'm nervous. You're making me nervous. Stop it uh yeah so lots been going on lots of podcasting things also I'm so oh it feels so good like this this truly I I know that everybody and their grandmother has a podcast okay but like something about it feels so just I love it I am a talker I always have been um and anytime I talk anybody in my personal life's ear off I go see that's why I have a podcast to help prevent this from happening to you and uh also, I could talk endlessly. Uh, I, I just enjoy it, and I hope that you guys do too. Uh, I've, I've gotten some interesting feedback. <laughs> My favorite ones are always the ones that are intended to be uh, compliments, that, or they're like, you know, I really love the unscripted, unplanned, conversational, just whatever pops into your head, chaotic, unorganized style of your podcast. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. It's totally intended. It's artistic that way, uh, and has nothing to do with my cat walking across my keyboard. Yeah, cool. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> I just I think it's funny because, you know, when I brought the podcast back last time <laughs> after that break, um. And I was doing the more of the video focused. Uh, I tried really hard to plan the episodes and what ends up happening is that I just overthink it and then I have nothing to talk about and I struggle to talk for 30 minutes. Um, Whereas when I stream of consciousness uh, record, it can be up to three or four. So, um, but yeah, I mean, getting back into it is a little bit like... Oh, what do I talk about? Because so much of my life has not revolved around horses lately. And I think that's where I just have to be honest about it instead of uh, because I felt this pressure to be like, okay, let me like peel my brain for things that I've done with the horses lately that I can talk about on my horse podcast. But the point of the rebrand and bringing it back the way that I did was to sort of open the door for more beyond just horse focused because like I said a million times you know the podcast goes through cycles because I do and I'm the only one working on it so it's kind of hard to approach it from a place of inauthenticity if if I'm not like knee deep and focused on horses then it's it's hard to want to do a podcast like that but I love podcasting so then I'm in this weird limbo zone of like I want a podcast but my horse or my podcast is about horses I can't do that and then so yeah and the reality is like you know create the life you want to live so here we are I'm opening the door to for it to be a horse and human podcast um which is what I said last time I brought it back but whatever okay um yeah I'm just I'm looking forward to getting back in the swing of things where Cause it always, every time I take a break, it always takes me a few episodes to like really get back in the rhythm where I don't really have to think about it and I can just sort of turn on the mic and get after it. Um, but I do believe we're already off to a better start than the last one. The last one I recorded like 400 times um, cause I just couldn't, couldn't get into it. Uh, like it's hard to, to find that flow again when you've been out of it for a while. Um, but yeah, so read the last episode Oh my God, you guys, like I would say I'm speechless, but then this would not be a great (laughs) episode since it is audio only. Um, I will say that there is a a visualizer on YouTube where you can sort of just set it up. and I edited like an hour of footage of me and Zoe and Azula and some of the babies and other horses um, just throughout time that I've been on the internet uh, just a little... A little time capsule of sorts, but also something that if you are a YouTube listener, that you have something to look at when you glance up from your artwork or whatever it is you do when you listen to the episodes. Um, But yeah, so it's, uh, I think that's a a cool little little thing. But um, God, I have so many thoughts in my head. Okay, get organized. So number one, if you don't mind, please subscribe to the YouTube channel because it can't make money until it's over a thousand subscribers. And that would be nice because this is kind of my only income source at the moment. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, what a dark realization, but, um, yeah, we love being an intern. It's, it's going well. Uh, but yeah, so I, I just want to find a way to express my like blown awayedness. And genuine shock at the reception to the last episode. Like the the comments and the story posts and the emails I got and just like oh it's it's so much to respond to, but please do know that I am a chronic respond avoider. Um it's I've just decided to embrace it rather than be stuck in this constant perpetual state of not <laughs> not responding and feeling horrible about it and then apologizing profusely. Um so now we're kind of entering the era of that's that is just that's who I am. Sorry. <laughs> I very much struggle to respond. However, I do thoroughly appreciate everything that all of you have sent me. I I read so many messages that just I mean, I was just showing my boyfriend like I what is happening? Like This I don't know. I I love this podcast and I know that a lot of people really, really enjoy it and really care about it, but um, it's one thing to like sort of know that and then to also receive the reception that the last episode got. Um, It just, it really means a lot to me and I, I can't express enough like how grateful I am for you guys that listen and all of the nice things that were said and yeah, I mean, cause I just I feel like I'm shouting into the void sometimes, and it's not the most interesting podcast in the world. Um, just me rambling about struggling to podcast usually, uh, and saying uh a lot. But yeah, man, it's it's just been so nice and heartwarming to read and listen to all the messages. So thank you guys. Uh, now I will wrap up the SAP train. And yeah, God, I don't know why my voice is shaking so much. Sorry. That's gotta be wonky to listen to, but, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm excited. I'm nervous. I got all the things happening. (sighs) Yeah. So let, let me, let me transition a little bit here. What, What has been going on? So like I said in the last episode, which was more of the overview episode, this one, I feel like I can chill a little bit and like actually get into some things. Um, so yeah, the past um, year or so I've been in practicum and internship one for school. So I am getting my master's of clinical mental health counseling. Say it with me. (laughs) How many times regular listeners have heard that, but, um, so end goal will be, uh, well, I'm already practicing as a therapist, uh, but after, this fall which I'll be taking internship to this fall which basically I'm just doing the same thing as internship 1 just finishing out my hours uh I wrote my capstone paper like I'm I'm set <laughs> um I just will have to take the national counselor examination and which you don't have to do until the end like till you're applying for licensed professional counselor which I still got a long way before I can do that um but yeah, our school likes us to take it early and I'm here for that. Uh so after I graduate, I'll be applying to the Arkansas board to get my license uh, associate counselor license. <laughs> um so I'll be an LAC for a couple of years uh to get more clinical hours and then after that I will be an LPC, which is licensed professional counselor. So quite a long road. We love that. So (laughs) what I heard from that was over the next like two years after I graduate, I am going to be working like a dog to get my hours met so that I can have the LPC licensure, which really frees me up for a lot of like job opportunity uh, sorts of things. Um, it also comes with a pay raise obviously. So, you know, there's, there's lots of benefits to knocking that out quickly. Um, but yeah, so that's sort of what's on the horizon for me. Uh, but I would like to talk a little bit about the therapy thing, if you guys don't mind, because wowie, 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 that has been life changing. Um, yeah, I think I think the last time that I recorded was when it was I think it was last August. So that was that would have been right before I was going into practicum. So I don't even think I had talked about that correct me if I'm wrong. (laughs) Um, but I don't think I had been in like clinical practice, but, uh, honestly, that was the best time for me to take a break from the podcast because there was just, there was so much adjustment that had to happen there. Um, namely in the realm of like work life balance, had to get real good at that real quick. Um, had to get very good about self-care and yeah, I mean, cause cuz being a therapist, being someone's therapist that they're coming to with their deepest darkest hopes, dreams, fears, uh trauma, hopes, you know, I mean, everything is it's it's very intense and can be heavy and can also be the most beautiful and heartwarming um inspiring job. Like it is it is very 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 fulfilling for me. Um, but also I have seen it result in a lot of burnout in the in the year that I've been actually in the field. Um, you know, it's it is a tough, tough field to be in. But um overall I think that the the benefits outweigh the the costs, if you will. But um yeah, that was really a good time for me to take a break and just I, I mean I took a break from everything except focusing on like finding out who I am as a therapist and trying to show up for clients as my most authentic and centered self, which has been a really interesting journey. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that I don't know that I could like sum up in one episode. Uh, it may be something I have to have to brainstorm on. If you guys are interested in that, then I can come up with some, some points and some, (laughs) some things that I did. Um, because it has been a really fulfilling and like really interesting journey. Um, and most of it honestly started with going into internship, but also, um, my acne weirdly enough. So I, I think I touched on it a little bit in the, I'm back episode, but, uh, I have been struggling with acne for, I guess, two years now. Um, and (laughs) this week, my was like the first time in two years that I didn't have a painful, aggravated spot of uh, acne on my face and like everything looked looked healed. Um, my, uh, like my face is scarred, but, um, you know, that I can cover with makeup and whatever, but I've been wearing my face pretty much all summer without makeup. Um, just letting it breathe and, Doing the research, trying to switch to things that will not aggravate my skin, makeup-wise, and oh my god, it has been like not not just like switching makeup, but it's been like a lifestyle change, like a proper lifestyle change, bruv. Um, so yeah, I mean that's another thing that I'm happy to divulge into because I I don't know how many of you struggle with body things uh, like acne, um, hormone imbalances um, gut health issues. But like that is where my head has been for the past two years, trying to fix that and figure out what all of that means. Um, and so, you know, this podcast got started with me having a hyper on positive reinforcement, diving into all of that. So, uh, this, this year's hyper was, oh my God, how do I get rid of my freaking acne? I'm so tired of this. Um, so I did all of the reading, all of the research, um, watching videos, podcasts, listening to other people talk about it. And really the, the gist of it was it all comes from the inside. No topical treatment, no like skincare beauty products. Nothing is going to fix it unless you address what's going on inside. It's a reaction to internal issues be that hormone imbalance, gut problems, which are often linked. Um, and you know, it's, it's very, very fascinating. So yeah, that's, that's where my head has been, my God, and trying to bring that, that level of self care to myself, like, what I've done for the horses and researching and reading so much about them. I always joked, and I I think I even joked on the podcast about like how much research I've done into equine nutrition and diet, all of that good stuff. And I know nothing about mine. I I couldn't care less to read about mine. And, uh, I, I think that that is symbolic of something. I hear that a lot in among horse people, you know, just being like, Yeah, my horse gets all this stuff and you know, I make sure that they have every last little supplement that they could need, that there's not a hair out of place, but then my room's a mess, you know, I I eat ramen every night, whatever. And, you know, obviously a lot of that comes from a a damaged and problematic society where there's not enough time, so to speak, to take care of yourself. Um, and not enough resources to take care of yourself, especially um, if you want horses, because that's where your time and resources go, because that's your passion. That's what you love. Um, But I have been on the front lines of seeing how much the, the sparkle of your passion can just like snuff out if you're not taking care of you. And it sounds so cliche, but truthfully, one of the biggest things that's brought me so close to in my relationship with Azula particularly is that, that focus on taking care of me. Um, and a lot of you were so nice in your comments. Um, you know, every time I'd post about like the podcast is coming back, I don't know when, but it will be back. Um, I've just been focusing on me, my life, trying to get myself in order and figure out, you know, what everything means to me, and it's it's been a journey. And I I thank you all for the comments that were like, take your time. We're here when you <laughs> when you're coming back. I did see those, and they they meant a lot at the time and now. Um, but what I was saying about Azula is that so much of my bond and my relationship with her has, in, in at least in my opinion, come from not asking anything of her, not asking anything of myself, um, and just being with her, noticing what's happening in my body, noticing what's happening with her and just sort of lowering all of the expectation, the tension. Um, and listen, I I can feel my resistance coming up when I'm talking about this, because I know when I hear people talk about, you know, just slow it down and just like go be with the horses that sometimes that's like, okay, great. But like my horse needs to go to the vet and she needs to get on a trailer and my horse needs to be ridden because he has, you know, weight issues or whatever the case may be. Yes. All very true. But, I do think that there is something incredibly, incredibly, incredibly overlooked to a large degree in the horse world because like, and I mean, before I move on that thing being that connection, because at least the way that I was brought up in the horse world, so much of it was like, your connection comes from you being badasses and tackling crazy combinations on cross country. Like that's your connection and you love the horse and you have a snuggle in the stall when they're tired after cross country. But like a, my, my definition and my understanding of connection has really changed over the past year because I've had a connection now, unlike I, any I've ever had before with a horse. Um, and that's with Azula, obviously. Um, because for the first time, like I think ever in my life as a little ADhDer who has a lot of um, a lot of ideas and a lot of complicated thoughts, we'll say around perfectionism and what it is to be enough and for me, a lot of that has been like, how much can I put out? I mean, good God, I was posting on Instagram from like the age of 13, like it was my job. And at a point it was my job posting every day, if not multiple times a day on multiple platforms, weekly on YouTube, doing the podcast. I mean, like working with brands, uh, shooting ads and like doing all of this stuff, trying to get content constantly and producing, 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 and not for really a whole lot, honestly. Like, um, the, obviously the the impact that I was able to have in the horse world is something that I will forever like be grateful for and hold very, very close to my heart. But in terms of like, you know, what did I really get out of it? I think it filled a void for a while of, uh, just not really feeling like I fit in super well. Arkansas is just, it's never been, been my end all be all place. Um, I've always felt like an outsider here and some of that comes from that not good enough complex, uh, but others come from just having different values and different interests, um, in the world and life. And it's, it's, it's been a little bit of a incongruency. It's chafed a little bit growing up, but, um, in, in, So I've had a lot of thoughts about like, be productive, produce more, you know, every time I'm with the horses, like, should I photograph this? Like, how can I set my phone up to, to record a video without the other horses knocking it over? Like, everything's just been so busy. There's just this buzzing constantly of like thought and action. And like, how can I, how can I make this time worth something? And a lot of that has been in, is it productive? And in what sense? Like, is it? what's it working towards? If, if it's not working towards anything that I can like show in, in the realm of on social media or monetarily, then like, mm, probably not making the best use of my time. And the past year, stepping away from social media and not worrying about posting has, has completely freed me up. Like it's been weird because I'll, I'll compare it to this. Okay. So once upon a time, I had horrible vision I could not see at all. And I had contacts and glasses and all that good stuff. And then found out that my insurance at the time covered LASIK, eye surgery, and so I did it. And then for like the next six to eight months, every morning I woke up and I was like, I'm missing something, I forgot to do something. Cause I forgot to put my contacts in, cause I don't have to anymore. So that's that was the exact same feeling of stepping away from social media and then going out with the horses. And I'm like, I should be doing something. I should be doing something. And realizing in the moment, I am. <laughs> like, just being is enough. And I don't have to be, like, doing, per se. I can just be present and then see what happens. Because I've never done that before. You know, there, there were always those fleeting moments of like just being and feeling but it was usually in in some sort of context of like I wasn't doing so well mentally and so I went out with the horses to go sit and just breathe for a moment that just that was the call at the time some people meditate some people you know sit on their porch and drink their coffee in the morning and for me it was that was how I cleared my head but it was never to this degree so let me let me just get to the darn point here Um, I, I just found myself really over the past year, wandering out into the field, um, with Azula and just being, and just like, unfortunately my Philly Billy just will not accept me to just stand there. I have to be doing, which is probably honestly for the better. And I think that's why we work super well together. Um, just because there are these little things that just fit so well, like puzzle pieces. Um, but yeah, so, cause if I, if I sit, I have a tendency to, to distract if I, if I'm not paying attention to something, watching something, thinking about something, it's very hard for me to meditate and, you know, in studying therapy and listening to other horse people, um, You know, I always hear on Warwick's podcast, he taught Warwick Schiller, uh, on the Journey On podcast, he talks about, um, you know, every time you realize that you're no longer meditating, that you've gotten distracted, that's meditating. And um, I've I've worked on that some, not as much as I'd like, but uh, the closest I feel that I get to that naturally without really much thought is just when I'm with Azula. And it just, it just sort of happens. I go out there with her and my favorites are when it's noon and her and the herd have sort of made their way to the top of the hill at the back of their field. Um, and the sun's shining and when it's like 60 or 70 degrees out and it's not humid, which is very rare in old Arkansas. Um, but I have a particular day in mind that I'm remembering. Um, and just, just going out there with her with no expectation, just to go say hi, really, and finding her hanging out at the top of that hill and just finding my hands, you know, rubbing in places that I feel drawn to, uh, using namely the Masterson method. I'm not, like, a pro at it, and I haven't, like, properly studied it. I did have him on the podcast not all that long ago, maybe a year or so, um, and I have have flipped through his book. I haven't set time aside to read it, um, but I, I am familiar with the bladder meridian, and I just find myself finding those spots of tension and noticing her and noticing when she takes a little bit harder blink or her nostril tenses or her ear flicks and then watching – that releases, I lighten and release, and it's very, very centering for some reason. Um, and I think you can even hear that when you, if you go back and listen to the episode with Jim Masterson, um, you you sort of hear that in the way that he talks. That he's had a lot of experience. It's very, it's a very, very, very mindful practice. Because you are constantly orienting yourself to the present, you're noticing, you're focused on two of your senses, you know, what do you see, what do you feel, and really tuning into that, as well as on another level, which I'd argue is another sense of ours is tuning into that of another being like, what, what are you receiving from them? What are they receiving from you? Where, how is that give and take that connection? And, um, it's, it's been really, really healing for me in a way because I don't know, I've, I've always been a rather independent human, um, that like, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just, I feel like I had an issue with touch, um, to some degree, uh, not really sure where that comes from. I think it was just really, um, not coming from a super like huggy, touchy family, Um, and I didn't really have friends that were like that either. And maybe, maybe they weren't like that because I wasn't like that, but, um, I don't know, for whatever reason, I just kind of like skipped that part. And in in my reading and therapy and humans and connection, healing, blah, 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 all that, all that mumbo jumbo. Um, I, I've really begun to understand the importance of touch, the, the power of touch and, how much that can change things. And I think it's really interesting that the times that my mind is most quiet are when I'm touching and being and just existing with Azula. And it's wild because that's not something that I'm like super accustomed to, not super used to. And that I'm able to find balance in that, I think is, is really fascinating. So just having those moments with her um where I sort of just go out to her I think the most important part is going out without being like this is going to be some magical connecting moment never once have I had that thought um now now I'll probably be struggling <laughs> to not have that thought um but really just to go go check on her say hey what's up what are you doing um and then if she's snoozy I just kind of be with her and stroker <laughs> batter do all the the pony things and uh yeah it's it's been very healing and very grounding and i find that those are the times where my mind is quiet there is a stillness where i don't have to think or do or worry or be i just am and i am with her and i don't expect anything of her she can just be also um And I think those moments have really brought us very close together because when she orients to something, I orient to something, I, I show her in many ways that I notice her, that I am aware of my surroundings. I'm aware of her and just having that relationship that, that I think is what builds the trust and the bond. Um, and yeah, it's, it's interesting because I've I've been doing a, uh, a lot of reading, like I said, in multiple areas. I've only recently started like reading into human stuff, but, um, there's this book that I'm sure at this point in your life you have heard of. Uh, and if you haven't, I'm excited to be the first one to tell you. Um, there's this book called the body keeps the score and, uh, I think I mentioned it in the last episode that I've been listening to it on Audible. I'll listen to a chapter and then I'll read the chapter uh, because I have a physical copy because I prefer physical copies, but I also feel like I do better having both uh, listening and seeing to read because uh, brain is distractible. Uh, But it also really helps me like get the information in there and then taking notes. um, Sorry for the burp. Wouldn't be a podcast without it. Uh but yeah, so I've been reading The Body Keeps the Score and like I said, the book is has some highly 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 graphic parts. Um some some stuff that could have probably used a trigger warning. Granted it is a, a book all about trauma, so it does have lots of descriptions of extremely traumatic events. But the the science involved and the explanation of how the body receives and stores trauma has been really, really interesting. And, um, I'm just, well, I fascinated and enthralled with it. It's taken me a really long time to get through it because I keep like going back and rehashing things. But one of the, the topics that it covers a lot is, um, that a lot of people have grown up in this world without a secure attachment figure where they they truly felt safe, where they could go to this person with anything, that there would be no judgment, no criticism, they would be met with love, be shown that they are heard and valued and seen, and that when you've grown up without that, um, and I'm not saying that I have, but I, I found a a similar experience in what was described that a lot of these kids that maybe grew up in foster care that have been through that, um, or in their own homes that have had neglectful or abusive families that weren't just able to trust another person really found a unique and healing companionship in horses and also dogs, but that's a footnote <laughs> horses uh that's what this podcast is about since it's a dog podcast uh yeah i just i think it's so fascinating that out of all the animals in the world that horses and dogs seem to be the ones that are most useful in in therapy because listen i love me some kitty cats love them especially kittens mm cute and my kitten cats perfect wonderful angels zuko cornelius and Wally Bubby. (laughs) They are my, my heart and soul, but it's interesting that people don't use them in therapy. I wonder if it's more of an allergy thing. Um, but I guess people are allergic to horses and dogs too, but I don't know. Anyway. So I think, I think horses is an interesting mention there though, because like obviously equine assisted therapy exists, but I think it's, it's fascinating because horses aren't like super common, like they're not everywhere. They are, but they aren't, you know what I mean? Like not the way that cats or maybe bunnies or guinea pigs are, but there's something very healing and special about horses. Um, you know, the way they work is through social, social relationships and they, they have a, an antenna of sorts and an aura about them, a, a very large electromagnetic field, big heart, And they sync up with us. And if you can find a way to be present, to center yourself and just be, there's a lot to be gained by being a part of that and like really feeling felt and understood by another being. And I think that that's where a lot of relationships go awry with horses and humans because, you know, like. I am ride or die for positive reinforcement and clicker training, but a lot of where I found that I was struggling with um, teaching was that sometimes if you're not super hyper perceptive, you it's very easy to miss things but I don't believe that you have to be super hyper perceptive to be a good horse person or to really connect with horses or to show that you're connected with horses to the horse. Um, there have been so many sirens going by. I hope that you can't hear it, but it's, it's super distracting. Uh, anyway, so to, to show that to horses, I think takes a, a an attunement process, right? Uh, I know Warwick Schiller talks a lot about this and it's something that I focus on a lot in human therapy because, um, and I mentioned Warwick cause I know he's the only one that I've heard, uh, at least recently talk about sort of that. It's, it's a woo-woo factor, but it's also not a woo-woo factor because we know this very well about humans, uh, that they're there's an a need for attachment you must have attachment there's a lot of work from mary ainsworth and john Bowlby, two of the pioneers in attachment theory sue johnson has really pushed that that research forward in uh adults and relationship and so it's it's just there's there's so much like rich history and i think it's really beautiful that that need for connection. And a lot of that comes from noticing and being noticed and having somebody respond in a way that shows that they see you, that they notice you rather than invalidating, judging, criticizing, suppressing all of those things. And I think a lot of what happens in relationship with horses is that we sort of bring what we were shown to, to that relationship like if you if for instance you cried or you had feelings of anger when you were a child and you were told stop crying don't cry crying is weak um or don't get angry you know you need to handle it more responsibly or more maturely then like you're all the only answer there Well, there's a couple, but what you're told is what you're feeling is not right. Stop. Stop feeling that. It's bothering me. It's inconvenient to me. And it put it, it, um, distances you from me. And if that's your attachment figure, like a parent or a sibling, a grandparent, uh, you know, whomever your caretaker is, then, then your response to having these emotions is don't have these emotions, hide them, conceal them, respond differently. Um, or, or you risk that attachment. And I think we, you know, unintentionally have a tendency to bring that to the horses. When a horse is scared of something, how many times do you hear? I mean, I'm super guilty of this as well. Invalidating statements, like it's just a plastic bag. Come on like, or it's just a shadow, get over yourself. Like that, that energy, imagine what it, what it does. Like if, if your horse is a small child that depends on you and cares about you and you say, Oh my God, you're really scared of that. Get over it. Like the response is, "Uh Oh, now I'm alone. You know, I, and this is anthropomorphic, but I'm, I'm using this to, to paint a picture here. Um, So, so if you were to tell this child, get over it, it doesn't matter. Like that's a stupid thing to be afraid of. Then now the child is like, I'm still scared telling me to simply get over. It doesn't make me no longer afraid. So now I'm alone and now I can't express that I'm afraid because the person that I, I care about and I I need in my life to feel safe. Doesn't like it when I react this way. So now I'm in a rock and a hard place here because I'm still afraid of the thing. I haven't gotten over it. And now I'm doubly afraid that my attachment figure is now, you know, gonna leave me or doesn't see me, resents me in some way. So, you know, I, I think we bring a lot of that, like I said, to the relationship with horses where we're like, get over it, stop. And then it creates this adversarial relationship where instead of stopping Acknowledging the thing that is frightening, perhaps helping the horse to create some distance from the thing so they can assess from an area where they feel more secure, and then slowly helping them understand that this isn't something that they need to fear, you know, by creating distance. Like, say it's a plastic bag that's like stuck in the ground somehow, it's not moving, (laughs) Um, but it's flapping and the horse is afraid of it, and you come up to it and the horse is like, oh my God, no. Give it a beat, you know, maybe use a splitting behavior. If you've read Language Signs and Calming Signals of Horses by Raquel Driesma, the term she uses is splitting. Put yourself between the horse and the thing that it's afraid of, um, and which is a protective gesture and then help create distance by encouraging the horse to slowly, calmly move away and then find us a, a space where the horse can assess the thing from a distance where they now feel safe. And it's, it's not a, a, con, a, huge concern anymore. So in doing so you've, you've shown the horse, Oh, I see that that's scaring you. Now I will help you out of this situation safely Whereas if you say, oh, come on, it's not that big a deal. Come over here, put your nose on it. Now you're saying, I recognize that you're afraid. I'm now going to force you to interact with this thing that you're afraid of. And now I'm also scary. And like, you know, a lot of horses have histories of being forced onto things that they're afraid of. So they might have a a past history of remembering being, you know, bumped with the lead rope, or pulled, or yanked on, or smacked, whatever. So all of those things might come up as well, whereas you could just say, hey, I see that you're scared. Sometimes I, I find it helps to label it aloud, because some of us, you know, in, in American culture, emotions are not a, a super well-talked-about thing, that we don't have a lot of literacy in emotion. Like, when when you say, what are you feeling to someone? they go, oh, I'm fine, you know, or I'm good, which is not a feeling, which, you know, sure, it's fine. It's semantics to a point, but also is it, or, you know, I'm feeling sad today, or I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with grief. I'm grieving. Um, you know, what is the feeling? So to name that with your horse, I I can see that you're scared. It's all right. Let me help you out of this situation. And, and then we can address it together. We can, seek it out as a team safely. And the more you have interactions and, um, you know, situations like that, the, the more trust and rapport you build, the more, um, more confidence your horse has in you. And, you know, obviously there will always be circumstances where it's not possible to you. Sometimes you just have to walk past the plastic bag. Um, but to take a beat slow it down and not have judgment about it, not have malintent. And if you, if you do to, to make a note of that, you know, if you find yourself with your horse and being like, Oh my God, this again, like you're spooking at that. That's so stupid. Like if you find something like that coming up to, to take a beat and be like, okay, hold on. (laughs) Where's that coming from? whose whose voice is that? Is that mine? Or is that something I've heard before that I've now internalized that I've, I've adopted as a part of who I am, you know, take, take a look at that. Is this something that I believe? Oh, I just bumped the mic. Is this something that I believe? Is this, is this truly how I feel about this or is this something that, you know, maybe doesn't align with me any longer? It's something I adopted at one point to appease someone to fit in Um, but maybe now it's time to reevaluate that. Maybe I can try to work towards something different, you know, um, like noticing, labeling and helping to safety and then calmly teaching, you know, instead of smiting and being like, get over here, rub your nose in it. Instead it's okay. How can I teach you? How can I show you that this thing can be safe at your pace? Um, But yeah, I, it's, it's really interesting how, how dealing with our own stuff really plays into horses. And that's, that's why I wanted to sort of bring the podcast, um, to have a more, mm, more emphasized mental health focus as well, just because that is such a a large part of my life that almost to a point I was like, the podcast will not come back (laughs) unless I can, because uh, it's, it's just such a huge part of everyday life. And what's interesting is I find with a lot of clients that I, I put things in horse metaphors and backwards and forwards. So I think it's a good way to explain concepts that, uh, apply to humans as well as horses in the context of the horse-human relationship, because everybody that listens to this podcast for the most part has had those experiences with horses or has had the human experiences and then you can you can play off whatever is most familiar to you to understand the situation you know I don't know interesting interesting learning element there but um that said that is my TED talk on whatever that was uh but now I sort of want to to open the door to something else okay I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be back you won't even notice uh, and then we're going to get into a listener submission and we're back. Okay. So a little backstory here. I received this email not too long ago and I was like, Ooh, I want to answer that. <laughs> and I, like I said, am notorious for having an issue responding. So I am choosing to answer this question here because it was at the forefront. I am so sorry if you have recently sent me a message and I have not answered it. um, and I hate to, hate to throw up the paywall thing, but, uh, like I said, the podcast is currently my only source of income and for as little as $5 and 59 cents, you can ask me anything you want. <laughs> um, so yeah, this, this is, uh, my, my call to action here. The Supercast link, like I said, is in the description where you can become a premium feed Subscriber, it'll show up in your regular podcast player, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever, including YouTube. Um, and you just subscribe to that feed, click on the player that you like. Uh, it is on a sliding scale, so you can choose how much you want to pay. You think it's worth five to fifteen dollars. The 59 cents is weird, but um, I did that because Supercast they charge 59 cents per listener, so um. I was like, okay, $5.59, then you're paying me 5 and then 59 for honestly a lot. It's a great platform. Um, I'm surprised I haven't heard more about it. But um, anyway, so that said, you can then ask me anything and that's, that's how I'm doing questions now instead of Patreon. Um, so if you have had a question that you have been wanting to ask or weren't able to ask when I was on break or weren't able to do through Patreon, now is your chance. I will be, be answering those in the premium feed episodes. So, my, my plan for the premium feed, like I said, is to have some maybe more deep dive episodes. Like if I, you know, the dominance theory episodes, that might be one that I put on the premium episode only. The ones that require a lot of time, effort, energy, and research that, um, you know, take a lot of time away from other things that I have going on. Uh, those would probably be more behind a paywall. I do offer a lot of free content, so I don't feel too bad about it. Um, but yeah, you can also just support the podcast that way. There's a donation option if you don't want the premium feed to deal with. Um, but how it'll work is there is a feature on there where you can ask me anything and you just tippity type your little question on in there and, um, ask it. And then I will in premium episodes, read the question and answer it so long as it's show appropriate, of course and uh yeah give my my thoughts I I do want to to mention here before I go into explaining or detailing that I don't want this to come across or be perceived as a replacement for any mental health service or any equine behavior consulting service uh, I I more rather answer the questions in the realm of to be educational, to be entertaining and thought provoking. So as always, I recommend that you enlist the help of a local behavior consultant. Now I do understand it's hard. There are, there are few and far between, and it's hard to find one with time. Um, some do online consulting, but they're also busy. So it can be taxing to try and get that. Um, so that's why I wanted to offer this on the podcast as well, where you have a space to sort of get another perspective on what's going on, but I do not want it to be perceived as a replacement for proper consulting because that's not what it is. Um, Again, more just to give you, give you a starting place, give you some ideas on how to get started, but it is ultimately on you to practice due diligence. Um, and those are my legal disclaimers. Okay. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So you can ask me anything on there. I will answer it in the premium feed episodes. And if you're a subscriber, you will be able to hear the answer to that. Um, yeah, So I look forward to seeing what you guys come up with and getting that premium feed rolling and started. Uh, yeah. Okay. So this question, uh, comes from a listener. Now they did not specifically ask for it to be read on the podcast. So I'm going to anonymize, but, um, I just, I seem to do better than like writing an email form to just speak it aloud. Um, So yeah, this, this question is regarding a horse that nips, that bites rather, um, a little bite. So I have, I have lots of thoughts on this, but, uh, I'm going to start by reading. So this is the condensed version of the message. I was wondering if you could discourse what a horse who nips means. My mare was scoped and treated for ulcers and I've seen a huge difference in her. She's done with treatment, but still nips when you go to pet her. I've been working on consent-based care in the past months and also asking her if I can move into her space, which seems to be working to make her feel much more comfortable. My question is why would she continue to nip? Is it a learned history from the ulcer? You couldn't groom tack up or in any way pet her without her biting at you. She's on gastric support feed and a ration balancer in order to keep her sugars down. So I don't think the ulcers are back since she's in a very low stress environment. And from what I observe with low sugar grains, um, I could also be influencing or could I also be influencing this behavior by expecting it, which I thought was an interesting element of this question. Um, Also, what could I do to make her more comfortable when being around me? Just so you know, I am younger, uh, which means I don't have everything I could want for her. She's at my house. So I have full control over her living situation outside 24 seven with other horses in a field that they rotate. Okay. So yeah. So this is the the situation. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, where to start? So, first of all, to answer the could it be a learned response from the ulcers? Absolutely. Um, that especially if it's gone on for a long while, then like if the ulcers were present for several years for her without being addressed. And then she had lots of people touching her, tacking her up, um, because ulcers are interesting in that they, they make horses sensitive to the touch when, um, you pet them, when you put a saddle on them, when you move their hair, I, I imagine it feels something similar to like, I don't know if, if everyone has experienced this, it feels like a universal experience might not be if you've ever had long hair, um, and you like put your hair up in a ponytail or a bun or something and your hair bends the wrong way and it just like doesn't feel good and you like can't really shake it. I imagine it's like maybe that to a lesser degree or maybe more. I don't know. Um, But basically they're just kind of sensitive and sore all over. And so when you go to touch them, that hurts. So if this horse has been dealing with this for a long time and now isn't dealing with it, then she could very well just be expecting that it's going to hurt. Um, so first also congrats on having like actually pursued treatment and diagnostics. That's, that's a very tough battle to begin. And, uh, it, it takes a lot to, to start that process. So I commend you for looking out for your pony. That's a big deal. Um, so the, why would she continue to nip the Ulcers is a a big part of that, um, having that learned response. And then after you address it, like, why is it not going away? So beyond a learned response answer, another possible thing is what, what I've experienced with a, a young horse that likely did not have ulcers. Maybe she did. Um, I think we went ahead and treated for it, but, um, this, this particular horse was a smaller, younger horse. And she, she was so freaking cute. And she was like, irresistible not to like walk up to and grab onto and want to like hug and smother with your love and affection. Um, But since she was small and had started out small and been handled a lot when she was younger, what I believe ended up happening was that her flight response sort of got shut off. So thankfully, I had Adele Shaw of the Willing Equine helping me. So I I fully credit um, her for that realization because I consulted her on that. Um, But what ended up happening and what Adele brought to light was that I believe this filly's ability or sense that she could move away was shut down. She did not believe that if something was going wrong for her, that she could just move away if I was too in her space that she could just back up instead she would aggress, she would fight. So fight flight. So, um, what we actually had to do was I ended up like reinforcing her whenever she slightly moved away from me. So I sort of just taught this horse to, to move away and how to, to be, like when, how to notice within herself when it was getting uncomfortable and then to respond by moving away. And for her, it started out so small as just like, I could see her chest muscles tensing and like her rocking away from me. And then I would click her for that and then feed. And then she would take a step back or a step to the side or just leave. And I would click her for that. And sometimes she wouldn't even like want the the food reward and she would just go on her way. And I let her because if that's reinforcing to her, by all means, go. So um, that's uh, that's something I'm always conscious of ever since that one, um, that in horses that bite, they may not have their flight response as an option. So you, it, it, especially if it's coming from, as you put it, um, she's still done with treatment, but usually nips when you go to pet her. So when you're coming into her space, if she doesn't feel like she can back up and have that respected, like that will be an option and what's worked for her is to aggress. That's what she's going to do. Remember everything's about reinforcement punishment. And so if you're coming into her space and when she's backed off, that that's not been reinforced by having the thing that's aversive, which is, you know, you going into her space to pet her. If that hasn't been removed, then that behavior doesn't get reinforced via negative reinforcement, right? So what does get reinforced is that when you go to pet her and she comes to bite you, you back off. Now she's been negatively reinforced to bite at you. So that may be a realm to explore is that you reinforce, um, you know, if you go to pet her and she backs up, click her and feed her. I promise you that there will come a time where once that has sort of healed, you will not have a horse that you now cannot touch, right? Um so but it's it's about teaching that you now have I'm using the word respect a lot, and maybe that's not a good word to use. Um, but that you are aware that you see that because horses think about them in the field, right? There's a lot of relationship that goes on. There's a lot of noticing and very, very subtle body language. So, you know, if one horse is walking up to another, that's got its head buried in hay. If the one that's got its head buried in hay just slightly ticks its ear to pin, to pin the ear, to signal, this is my food, go away, don't bug me, the other horse is going to deviate or they might stop or they might graze or scratch their leg or do some other sort of calming signal, self-soothing behavior, some sort of, okay, I'm not going to do that. So it, it it's subtle. And like I was saying earlier in that discussion about noticing is that um, sometimes we just don't we're not super tuned into the world around us. And I think that has a lot to do with again, what I was talking about just busy minds and not taking time to slow down and take 10 minutes out of your time with your horse to just observe them to see if you can notice as much as possible. What are their ears doing? What are their eyes doing? How are their nostrils positioned? How, how is, how do their muscles look? Do they look tense? Are they, are they kind of frantic? Are they slow? Are they methodical? So to notice all of those things, you're you become a a safer and safer companion to them. So it's really about learning their language more than them learning ours. You know what does trot mean? <laughs> you know we need to to be able to have that two way communication. So in in the case of this nipping mare, um, it it may be a case of she's not had that respected. Be it from, you know, you in the past before you started learning more, you know, sometimes it just happens. We can't be expected to know everything. So I hope that there's some compassion for you for that if if that has been the case. Um, but if she's been with other people before, that maybe, maybe that's how she grew up. Maybe that was never respected. Or maybe when she was tacked up to go for a ride and she, she moved away when the saddle went to be put on. Uh, And somebody still put the saddle on. Well, the moving away didn't work. Now she's got to get aggressive. And then she maybe gets hit for being aggressive. And now she's just even more mad, more scared. And like, there's no, there's no right answer. So allowing an answer is, I think, a good start. And something I think that is truly genius of Adele. Um, And so thankful I had her (laughs) mentorship on that one. But uh, I think that's something that would be super easy to miss. That maybe there's a an element of a flight response that's been stifled, so allowing and almost retraining that flight response is is good. And you can do that in a variety of ways, right? You could just notice and reinforce if there's any movement towards flight. But if she genuinely doesn't have a flight response and just automatically goes to nip. Um, you can set up cones and targets and teach going away just, just so that behavior is built in there and it can become a a default of fallback behavior. Um, so yeah, I mean, you just have to get creative with it on how that might look, but, um, Yeah. I think what was also interesting, let me, let me make sure I address all the like behaviorist elements first. Um, yeah. Learned behavior, stymied flight response. Um, okay. Okay. Here's, here's one more from another horse I had worked with at one point. Um, he, he had an issue with me touching him. Right. So, um, the, and, I I know that a lot has happened with this horse since since he was in my care, um, so I may not be right on the money, but I think it's it's still a worthwhile concept. And I like to discuss things through story and not just general concepts. Um, so you can go back in the episodes. There was an episode somewhere in like the first fifty, I think, uh, me talking about a horse named Mac and a biting issue that I had with him, and he would anytime I tried to touch him, well, it wasn't any time. it was very unpredictable. Um, but there were times when I would try to touch him that he would just turn and bite at me. Um, and there was no warning. There was no ear pin, nothing like he just would turn and bite at you. And so what I worked with him on was touching me rather than me touching him. So I gave him the control. So you're talking about consent based cues, which is a fantastic idea for a horse like this. Um, it may be difficult to train. Now listen, okay, I will fully preface by being 100% honest. I am not the most experienced in consent-based cues. Um, that's just not an area that I like really fell into. There there are some that like I kind of do on accident, such as like holding up a saddle pad and then when they touch their nose to it, then I, I put the saddle pad on. Um, but if a horse has had issues with touch and doesn't feel a whole lot of power in it it's sort of hard to get a real yes maybe and maybe my line of thinking is wrong on this I don't I'm not sure um I do want to be honest about that but um I think it's important to consider like is is there a real yes there is there an option to leave or are you sort of more risking getting bitten and teaching a consent that might work that in? Um, I don't know. That's, that's my, that would be my worry on it. Um, but as you said it, you said it seems to be making her feel much more comfortable, which is fantastic. So whatever you're doing sounds like it's, it's working. So maybe if you incorporate some more elements then you'll have the whole puzzle, um, and an ability to have a horse that can truly consent to touch. Um, and you know, again, obviously like periodic checks for ulcers, things of that nature, um, that might be worthwhile. I know that there, at least as far as I'm aware, I'm not sure the credibility of them, but there are some acupressure points to check for ulcers. I'm not sure if there's been like a study that's been published on like, yes, if you press here, that highly correlates with a horse that has ulcers. Um, I know that I, I, Uh, have always said to use like DePaulo equines um, video where he discusses the acupressure points for horses. Um, But, you know, as I get older and I get a little bit more critical of research, I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if that's super accurate. Um, It seems to be in my anecdotal experience, but take that with a grain of salt. Uh, Anyway. Okay. So eliminating that to teach them to touch you. Like with Mac, it started with, um, I was in protected contact. So he was in a stall. I was outside of the stall and out of, out of biting range. And I would teach him to, to touch my hand. I would hold up my hand. And if he would flick an ear at it or look at it with his eyeball, like you could see he's looking at it, then I would click him just for orienting to the hand. And then hold up my hand again, click and repeat, 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 until he's like maybe leaning towards it to target it. And then clicking for that, any, any movement of him toward me and we're in protected contact, so I'm safe, he's safe. Um, and I think working on touch, it, it's a really good idea to start in protected context. So the horse has more of an inclination to be like, oh yeah, I can leave. Um, and they feel a little bit safer, you feel a little bit safer, and you both can separate if need be. Um, Especially with biting, I think that's a really good place to start. I probably should have led with that. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so, so in teaching that, clicking to orient to it, move toward my hand. And then eventually to where he would touch his muzzle to the palm of my hand. And I'd click him for that over and over and over and over and over again. And then we progressed to a point where, you know, he'd have to stop chewing to listen for the clicker. So I would hold up my hand and he would touch my hand with his muzzle and he'd probably be chewing from the previous reinforcement. And then he'd pause for a second to be like, did I hear a click? Is she going to click? And then I would click him for that. So now I've also used the environment of him moving his mouth. And now the expectation is, can you touch your muzzle to my hand with a still closed mouth? And so then we started from there and then moved into other body parts of him targeting his body to my hand. Um, So, so then you can, and maybe that's what you're doing with the consent based cues. Um, And I think, oh, there's somebody else that has a, a really good video on, Um, scratching consent. Uh, I believe it's Lauren equine behavior consultant, Canada, something to that nature. She's got a TikTok, but the video's older, I believe, but she's on the IAA or I, (laughs) IAA board. Um, and, um, Frazier, Laura, I think it's Lauren Frazier or Laura, the dyslexia is getting us today, but, um, anyway, amazing amazing intelligent human and has a video on like if you scratch and scratch and scratch and scratch and then stop and then see if the horse like makes a move into that that spot again to almost ask or not almost really to ask i do this a lot with azula Uh, i do it with zoe as well i think actually in the in the little Visualizer that I have on YouTube that goes behind these episodes. Um, there's a clip of me doing that with Zoe. Um, good luck watching the whole hour of that <laughs> B-roll content. But um, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I lost my train of thought. Is what just happened? Uh, yeah. Okay. So so asking, you know, finding that favorite itchy spot if she has one. You know, a horse that doesn't like touch may not have one um, yet but, uh, to have the little itchy scratchy and then stop and see if they ask for it again. And if they don't don't, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that really worked for Mac, uh, at least as far as when I had him, I know a lot has changed for him since, but, um, yeah, so, okay. I want to address the other portion of this question, which is, Could I also be influencing this behavior by expecting it? What can I do to make her more comfortable when being around me? So beyond the training, like formally training her, um, I think that there is something to be said about what you bring to a session. I'm hesitant to use the energy word (laughs) um, because it does have such a wonky connotation. But um, let, let me maybe use an example from clinical therapy practice. So, that's, uh, it's a really interesting thing that I've noticed. So I'll be in session with somebody and I'm, I'm chilling at this point. Uh, not much really rattles me. I'm just sitting, hanging out, listening to this person, tell their story, asking questions, um, participating very in tune, listening intently. And then they You know, I might ask a question about, I don't know, something that's very sensitive to them, maybe a past relationship or something that's something that hits a nerve, right? Um, Or they, they start telling a story and they, they can look super, super relaxed and very calm, um, keeping it together, maybe a little tense, you know, nothing like super, super obvious, but then all of a sudden it's like i get hit by a freight train of buzzing like my heart rate starts beating so hard um or my heart starts beating and my heart rate goes up i start sweating and i like get a little lightheaded and i'm like whoa what is happening and i've i've been very mindful in those moments to you know ask the questions like okay is this triggering me somehow this has nothing to do with me i don't relate to this like I don't, I don't know where this feeling's coming from. And, you know, I am medicated for ADHD and I've, I've paid attention to that as well. It's, it's not that cause it's not usually in the morning when ADHD medicine is the most ADHD medicine. Um, but like it's eliminating all variables and, um, it's, it's really interesting because I'll, I'll be like, Okay, so I'm looking at you, right? And you're telling me this, this story and I'm wondering if there's a lot more weight to this, like that this is really sensitive and difficult for you. And it's always, yes. And um, then I I disclose how I'm feeling and I say, and I'm wondering, are you feeling that in your body? And they go, yeah, I I feel like, Oh, my heart is beating. I feel like I am like a lot is going on with me, like physiologically. And there's been no indication there. That's they're just sitting there telling me a story. You know, sometimes there might be a tear or two, but for all intents and purposes, they they just they don't look distressed. But it's something I notice that happens a change in my body, in my physiology that I'm not like I have no horse in the race. Right. I'm just sitting there listening, talking Um, you know, the first couple of sessions I had, there were some nerves, but I, that doesn't really happen all that much. And um, it just comes out of nowhere. And I'm like, Whoa, what am I feeling right now? And then to share that with the client and then have them be like, yeah, that's what's happening in my body right now. I was like, Oh, it's you, (laughs) Uh, which is really interesting because I feel like the idea of energy gets denounced in Western culture. It's alternative, but I, I, I am straying in the direction of that's not the case. I don't think it's alternative. I think it is something that has been known and practiced in other cultures around the world to, to know the value of connection with other humans and like how much power that really does have. We're social species. How could we not be connected? Your heart rate syncs up with people when you're in deep, um, deep connection with them. When you're really paying attention, when you're intently talking to someone, it's same thing happens with horses. So if you're going out with your horse and you're very nervous, that might be something to take a beat. You know, if, if they're in their field and you haven't quite caught them yet, you know, go hang out on the fence for a moment, just watch them, observe and center yourself. So a lot of that for me, I've noticed lately um, it's really interesting. I'll, I'll get wrapped up in something, whether something pisses me off or, um, upsets me. And I, I have a tendency to spiral, uh, mentally where I get all these ruminating thoughts where I'm like, Oh, I should have said this or, Oh man, I, I really messed that up. And I just, oh, and I keep replaying it in my head and I like, can't stop. And it has been a, a serious issue for me and in, in some relationships I've been in where I like, cannot let it go. And I'm like, why? I like I'm I'm not really a person that holds grudges. So I'm like, why am I so hung up on this thing? And it's it's a an inability to sort of pull yourself back to the present. What I've noticed is it's it's when I get and I am not a fan of the word because I feel like it's thrown around so much. Um, and I know that everybody says that about this word, but I get triggered in the sense that whatever has happened that has upset me has taken me back to something when I was a kid and maybe had less emotional regulation. And cause you know, for a kid like to be denied a cookie can feel earth shattering. So even something as simple as that, you know, when you're an adult and you ask maybe your partner for something and they say, no, it can send you back to that experience. So you're, you're no longer in the present. And obviously that's a, maybe a trivial example, but, um, things that remind us of traumatic, semi-traumatic, minorly traumatic, however you rate it, events that were difficult for you can take you back to those events. And, um, it can, it can seem or it can distort time a little bit to where you, where it feels as heavy as it did that time. Um, so what I have learned, especially from reading the body keeps the score and I will disclaim here that if you are younger, please do wait to read that book until you're older. It is it is very intense, um, and like seriously, don't don't read it. Like give yourself some time to to grow and be a kid, and then maybe revisit it later in life. Um, but to to know that you can you can sort of go back to those moments. Um, so like in this sense, it may be you're walking out to your horse and. You remember all the times that she's nipped at you or bit you and there's fear there and so you you're a little backed off it's scary and so you're you're expecting that and and like you said that there is some level of you know call it manifesting call it speaking into existence whatever whatever your term is for it um it I do believe that 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 plays a a role. So now there's a difference in being like, okay, this horse has bit me before I need to be aware of that so I can be safe. Um, but also like paying attention to what's happening in your body. So when I found myself ruminating on something or struggling to get past something, uh, mentally, that's upset me in the moment is to ground myself. So that is going through your five senses what do you see? What do you hear? What do you smell? What do you feel? And the feeling one, I think is really important because, um, for me, that really helps me to get back in my body. I have a, a tendency to intellectualize my emotions and think them to death so that I just, Oh God, don't have to feel them. So to, to feel what my body is doing, um, and to really feel it because I can be like, okay, I feel the chair. Uh, holding my body. I feel the desk that I bump into. I feel the headphones on my head. Like I can say those things, but am I really feeling those things? And to really focus your attention on what you feel. How do your pants feel on your body? Are they sitting comfortably? Are they uncomfortable? Is anything pinching? Are you holding tension in your shoulders? Is there any way you can maybe relax those? a little bit, feel that tension melt as you exhale. Can you feel the chair underneath you? How does that feel? What's the texture? Is it soft? Can you feel it touching your skin in a comforting way? Is it uncomfortable? Do you need to readjust the way you sit so that you can melt a little bit easier, sit a little bit easier. So if you're able to do something like that, when you walk out to the field, you pause at the fence and feel how the fence feels under your finger to genuinely stop and smell the darn roses. You know, how, how does it feel to be in your body? How are you doing? Is your heart beating really hard? Are you relaxed? Are you able to take a deep breath and feel the tension and anxiety dissipate on your exhale? What happens when you inhale? What happens when you exhale longer and you release And really centering yourself, I think takes a lot of that, like, oh no, what's going to happen? I got to think and overthink and it it slows that down. It's, I I find it very difficult, especially because like I said, I'm really good at tricking myself into thinking that I am present. I'm like, okay, I did all the senses, but like, did I, or did I just like rattle off a bunch of things around me? But like, to actually be like, what is that smell? Can I place it? what is it? What are the, the notes in the smell, you know? And to really like, the goal is to get yourself present back in your body, you know, you know, you know, you know. So the other thing is uh, one of my favorite quotes, uh, sort of, I don't know, there's, there's a lot that I've learned from listening to the guests and also Warwick that he's had on his podcast like i feel like i've i've learned a lot it's made me consider a lot um in both life and in my relationship with horses and i think marrying those two the positive reinforcement and the consent based training and the attunement element um i almost think you can't do one without the other because i mean you can use any training methods with a horse but can you make them feel safe not only through like intended conditioning, but also intentional interaction and being with them, um, and teaching them that it's safe to be with you just by showing them and proving to them that you, you see them, you see their fears, you see their, their favorites, and you are a part of that. So one of my favorite quotes is the, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So if you're looking at your horse as a horse that has a biting problem that always nips, then that is what you sort of see. That's what you invite. When When is she not nipping? What are you doing? What is she doing when she's not biting? Is that something to pay attention to? How do you create more moments like that? How do you turn your attention to moments like that and reinforce that? So I think a, a problem that we often run into as a problem-oriented culture is what's going wrong okay i don't want x y and z i run into this with clients a lot too you know i'll i'll ask okay tell me what your ideal life looks like you know what what's what's the issues now what's what's the goals the hopes all of that you know what does your ideal world look like obstacles removed and usually it starts out like you know well i I want to have more money, and I don't want to have to worry about the house anymore I don't want to have to worry about the kids um I don't want to feel x, y and z, and it's a list of I don'ts well that's that's like how how on earth do you know what you want if you can't tell me the opposite you know um and that's i'm almost speaking to myself in the moment more so I think because that's been a lot of my life is no 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 wrong 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 instead of. Hey, that, okay, that's, that's something. (laughs) Uh, what if we did it this way? What, try this. That's good, but maybe this, you know? Um, so instead of, I, I don't want my horse to bite. What do you want? Like in the example of Mac, it was a teach the opposite situation. I, I want him to interact with my hand with his mouth closed and not moving and in in a way that was safe for me. So that is what I focused on. How can I teach him to interact with me in a way that is, you know, safe for him, safe for me. So focusing on the, I want my horse to not do X, Y, and Z has a tendency to lead to punishment, pain, or fear. So a lot of people in the traditional world, and sometimes even the positive reinforcement world, end up with like, you know, oh, this horse, when I go to girth him up, he, he bites and he kicks. And so I don't want him to do that. So I'm just going to punch him or kick him or, you know, tighten the girth slower. I don't want him to do this behavior. Stop it. So the only option out of those that might have some, some validity is the tighten the girth slower because you're not, um, directly being like, stop that behavior. Okay great. You don't want the behavior to happen. What do you want the horse to do? How are you helping the horse do what you want it to do? Or are you just expecting it to, to pull this solution out of thin air? Um, that the horse is, you know, maybe like in, in the case of the listener submission, the horse has ulcers and you, you know, somebody goes to put a saddle on the horse and girth it up and the horse bites at them. And maybe they give it a a smack on the shoulder and say, stop biting. You've, you've completely ignored all of the possible issues. And I feel like I'm preaching to the choir on this podcast a bit, but you're, you're not in, you're not giving the horse the alternative. Okay. The horse is communicating to you very loudly. It, that is a desperate communication, um, that, that, ow, that hurts. And then you smack (laughs) and you say, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. You think that hurts? I'll show you hurt. Instead of, uh-oh, something's wrong. Let me reevaluate and we'll we'll revisit the girth later. Um, I think it could avoid a lot of issues. Like the this listener is struggling with a horse that now potentially has a learned behavior of just dismissing human touch altogether, which is sad because there there's so much bonding and joy that can come from that. And some horses are just you know, they just don't like to be touched and that's, that's fine too. Um, I think it's finding that respect and that, that level between you two that only you and your horse are going to know by you paying attention to them. Um, so if you haven't already, I do recommend that, uh, Raquel Dreisma book, the language signs and calming signals of horses, uh, because it really does help you to become a, a better observer to learn those signs of discomfort or unease that you can address them sooner. And I think that will go a long way with this horse as well. Um, But to to identify what you want, uh, how do you want your horse to feel? How do you want them to behave? What do you want them to do? And instead of thinking in terms of what you don't want them to do, well, I don't want my horse to be scared. Okay. How do you want them to feel? I want them to feel safe. Okay. How do I make them feel safe? You know, explore that and identify what behaviors might come along with that. Um, but yeah, I think that about wraps it up. Um, in conclusion, <laughs> mindfulness for you, uh, for what you're bringing and shifting your focus a little bit. I think that that happens kind of naturally when you switch to positive reinforcement anyway, when you're so used to reprimanding and correcting constantly in the traditional world. You know, obviously not every traditional rider is like that, but it is largely like, okay, you know, the horse is going around, not fast enough, kick, go faster, uh, too fast, pull back, slow down. Um, And in positive reinforcement, it's much more looking for what the horse is doing right. And I think the next step in that is, okay, there's a behavior occurring that I don't like. What do I want the horse to do instead? And then breaking down how you teach that, what the possible reasons are for the bad behavior or unwanted behavior, and then fleshing it out that way. So I think we covered ensuring that the ulcers are truly gone, which it sounds like you've done a pretty, pretty solid job of doing that. Um, Then helping with that, that consent-based training teaching that it's okay to move away that flight response, trying to help turn that back on, get that back online. Um, and what was the other one? Uh, yeah. Reconditioning all around. And I think that starts from a distance over protected contact where you feel safe, the horse feels safe, and you're able to step away and take a moment to recenter if you find yourself getting worked up. Um, and then I think a lot of that also just, Just being and observing and existing with the horse, finding time and quiet moments instead of, you know, every interaction being training, which I don't know if this listener, if that's the case, Um, especially if they live at your house, you might spend a lot of time with them. Um, So just be mindful of what does that time that you spend with them look like? What are you doing? What are they doing? Um, Are you perhaps too close? Are you perhaps too far? (laughs) You know, Uh, but yeah. I think, I think that about wraps it up. I'm getting quieter. My voice is getting tired. I haven't talked this long consecutively in quite some time, but, uh, yeah, I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode, give you a little, little taste of what a premium episode might be like, which most of you probably already know from the past Q and a episodes. It'll be very similar to that. Let me talk into the mic. Um, but yeah, so be sure to join the premium feed if you want to, if you're able to thank you endlessly for listening be sure to like and subscribe on whatever streaming service you're using i think spotify has where you can rate the episodes you can comment on episodes i'm always open to hearing ideas for episodes so if you are listening on spotify go ahead and look at your your player tell me what you want to listen to um and give me some give me some feedback some ideas so that i'm tailoring it to you and to me you know Uh, but with that said, I think I'm going to wrap it up. Thank you guys endlessly for listening and being a part of this and I will catch you guys in the next one. Okay. Bye.